the chaos that we're in, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, Brexit, all leads to this man here. Hello and welcome to Not To Get Political, the podcast where we delve into the world of politics and hope to remain unscathed. We're recording on the 14th of November 2023 and the last few days have been a bit of a shit show, but there's been some positives as well. To discuss this with me is founder of UK Fact Check Politics, Rustam Wahab, and friend of the show, Sean Ramiz. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Ready to talk. What have you made of the last few days? You go first. You go first. I'll go first. Um, I'd say it's been chaotic to say the least. Um, I mean, Palestine protest was wonderful. There was 800,000, maybe 1 million people there, according to reports. Of course, the BBC uh, downplayed it to 300k. Um, but when I woke up on Monday morning, I wasn't expecting what I saw. Uh, well, so have Braverman getting sacked. You know, I'm not surprised. But David Cameron coming back into uh, power, well, office, one of the highest officers in the UK, uh, foreign secretary, it's no joke. And him being unelected as well. And just coming in like that, I was like, wow, like we already have an unelected PM. Now we have an un- unelected foreign secretary who is free of scrutiny. I know it is quite interesting having having a government full of Brexit supporters who are famously against having unelected bureaucrats making decisions on half of the British people, which <laughs> is, of course, now why we have an unelected prime minister and an unelected foreign secretary making decisions on behalf of the British people. Sean, what did you make of it? Yeah, I think the UK is just in a very confused place right now. Um on the one hand, being just on on the streets with these protests, obviously I attended the Armistice Day, um, going to see the right wing protests as well, which was very scary, to say that much. <laughs> um, and then going over to the Palestine protests, I think it's so fascinating to see how that we're we're really in a torn place right now, uh, this country, and in, in particular, then obviously you kind of look at the top in British establishment and leaders, and you even see they're even torn themselves within the Conservative Party. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of confusion right now. So uh, it's a very interesting time to be involved. And I think a lot of people who aren't interested in politics are getting involved and getting interested for the first time. So maybe that's the silver lining. Um, so yeah. you were at the Cenotaph on Remembrance Day. <laughs> yes, I was. I saw that on your Instagram. I saw that and thought, you are brave. You are very brave. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Maybe a bit stupid. But um, no, look, I think that day in particular was such an interesting day because it really is or really did demonstrate a paradox within British society so on the one hand you have an armistice protest which is about literally putting your arms down and then just just next to it you have a or not next to it but you know a couple miles away you have a ceasefire protest now armistice and ceasefire are literally synonyms but then the British establishment media politicians etc have literally just tried to make them so opposed and I really wanted just to go in the streets just to really kind of capture that um, paradox and that contradiction that tension even though there shouldn't be one and then on top of that then you have all the football hooligans running in so then it was just even more chaotic than it um, really even needed to be so where what was your sort of where you were based whereabouts were you based near the cenotaph I I was right like in front you were right in front of it and what was what was the mood like around amongst those people that you spoke to what were they saying no so like you you walk in and obviously it's a sea of white people which of course is, you know this is, <laughs> but this is this is like an english t- tradition right so i didn't really expect there to be some sort of like multicultural turnout um but no i'm, I'm there in front of the cenotaph getting a lot of stares so that's the first thing i noticed i've never really been in this environment like that before but people kind of wondering like what's going on and even my cameraman is very visibly muslim he's from pakistan um so he was getting a lot of stares as well when he was like recording 
but generally I got into some nice conversations with people I'm not going to pretend like everyone there was like bad or anything and it was, it was quite nice just to sort of be part of that tradition because obviously you grow up you go to school they sell you poppies these sorts of things but to actually be there for the first time it was quite nice and then also seeing the sort of ceremony and you know you see the Sikh veterans you see um, you know people who are like you know Chinese or yeah. East Asian etc so it, it was quite nice to be part of that environment but there was a sort of lingering uh, roar there were, there were literally lingering roars of the right wing chants and protests uh, and what were they chanting? England, all this, all that type of So it was basically like, like you're that. not there to pay your respects. You're basically there to pretend like you're at a football well, match. The, well, the interesting thing was the actual silence was delayed because they were shouting. So the silence happens, and and I, you'll see this in the video when I post it. You literally hear the, the um, you hear the the chants, which literally delayed the whole thing. Well, don't you know that true patriots scrap with the police <laughs> and lead a football chants well, no, instead of bothering the fallen? Yeah, and no, then there you go. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but um, I think the police did a really good job that day. To be fair, I think that they had actually like an impossible task. But honestly, like their presence, especially at the right wing for the right wing stuff, I actually felt safe. So yeah, Rustam, as Sean said, the police had an impossible task on Remembrance Day, trying to uh, deal with the counter protesters and the ceasefire and the ceasefire march. Um, why do you think that day in particular would be so difficult for the police? Um, I mean, it goes back to last week, doesn't it, when Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, former Home Secretary now, um, whipped up. Uh, massive amount of hatred calling them hate marches the palestine pro-palestine uh marches as hate marches um well you know there's half a million people attended i think previous to that to this one half a million people attended the biggest one and now over eight hundred thousand in this one so when uh the right-wing mob uh goes online and looks at something like that from the home secretary especially they're gonna get you know they're gonna get galvanized they're gonna get inspired to go on the streets to go and interrupt the, try and interrupt the pro-Palestine protests. And um, unfortunately they disrupted, um, well, they caused obviously some violence uh, with the police and disrupted the minutes, well, two minutes silence on the cenotaph. Um, but it all goes down to the Home Secretary, to be honest. Um, she's come out with, with like populist, populist, van, populist vandalism, I'd say is the word, almost like, a Trumpian, I'd say, to be honest, yeah. the rhetoric, the dog whistle rhetoric. Um, it was just really, really horrific when she came out with that. And actually it made it unsafe for people traveling back from the march as well. Uh, luckily, I didn't go to Waterloo, although I was yes. considering it. You've see, obviously seen the scenes of those yeah. four guys. I believe that three of them have been identified. There's yeah. still one that they're still trying to identify, but I think that will happen uh, very soon. Yeah, I mean, luckily I was considering going to Waterloo because that's like my go-to station yeah. and then to go to Stratford. But then um, luckily uh, St. James's station opened uh, and I went with a friend there. Um, but if I went to Waterloo, I think it would have been really, really bad. Like just seeing that, obviously me being a person of like colour and being Muslim as well. And obviously um, the Palestine uh, stuff is quite like very like sensitive with me especially um just because i'm from afghanistan ethnically and we've gone through war oppression and obviously it's not nothing comparable to the palestinian people but um those scenes at waterloo and even when i was going to get some lunch uh, at london victoria station i witnessed like a like racist uh, abuse and like islamophobic comments made to like a woman wearing a hijab her palace she was shoved her palestine opinion her palestinian flag was thrown to the floor and the police had to intervene. By counter-protesters or just members of the public that were... I think it was just members of the public just walking past. And obviously that's all whipped up by the Home Secretary's comments calling the marches as hate marches. 
um, saying that they should be banned, saying the Metropolitan Police isn't doing their job. Um, I think the police did a decent job at keeping everyone safe. Um, obviously, I'm not a big fan of the police, yeah. but... Um, well, I'll read you part of the Met's statement that they uh, that they put out. They said that groups of several hundred were intent on confrontation and multiple arrests have been made, including for possession of knives, batons and Class A substances. And there was an assault on an emergency worker. So these people clearly meant to do damage and clearly didn't fear any repercussions whatsoever if they're bringing those sorts of weapons. And why would they when our government has effectively given them the green light to take action into their own hands? Um, so talking more about the, the ceasefire march, it wasn't squeaky clean i think we could be honest we can see that there was a the, the met said that there was a breakaway group of 150 um i saw people letting off fireworks i did see some racist posters uh racist placards i mean and uh some racist chants this stuff people attending these marches partaking in that surely know that this won't help the ceasefire movement so why do you think that they do it sean if you want to go first i think um well look when you have what eight hundred thousand people nearly a million people there's obviously going to be a plethora of different views. Um, and then, of course, there will be a minority of people who then, you know, maybe say anti-Semitic things or um, say some hateful things, etc. or become a bit rowdy because, again, it's a very sensitive topic. But then this obviously shouldn't be cast on the whole movement as a hate march. And why shouldn't it be? Because then basically the, the counter argument is that, oh, well, if you look at like armistice or you look at these right-wing protesters, these are just a minority. But I'll, I'll explain the, the sort of fundamental difference. The difference is, is that with the ceasefire march, the organisers, right, and the, the sort of purpose of it is for a ceasefire. Even the organisers themselves said, don't bring this, don't do this, don't do that, right? So they don't have any responsibility and therefore the entire march itself as a concept doesn't have any responsibility for these people. But then on the other hand, when you're getting the, the sort of intention for these kind of right-wing protests was literally to go and protect this country from what? Who's who's fighting it? The fact that like they literally went to go and just charge at people, charge at the police, um, charge at me in the video. You was he? I, I was charged at as well. Um, thank God the police were there. But this is this is why it's just so flawed at its core because you know you get this minority of people. Um, at the Palestine March, and then this is meant to somehow undermine the whole thing when the reality is the intention of the Palestine March wasn't that. It was literally for ceasefire. Um, and then people want to try and draw comparisons, but there's not a comparison to be made because that is not a minority representation in the right-wing group. That was literally the purpose of it. The purpose of it was to cause trouble. And that was led by, um, like you said here, um, Suella Braverman's comments. So, yeah. Rustam? Um, yeah, I mean, I went to the protest. It was fantastic. The atmosphere was great. Um, it was incredibly peaceful. Um, when I was there, the, the chants were completely fine. I'm not sure uh, what chants were. There's a, a chant in Arabic, I believe, that is in reference to a war that Muslims had against the Jewish people in the 7th century, that I believe that is what is being seen as anti-Semitic. Okay. Also, um, from the river to the sea which is a chant that some Jewish people believe is anti-Semitic. Others don't. I did see uh, Jewish uh, people partaking in that chant. It's not really my place to say whether it's racist or not, but you know that's for, for Jewish people to decide and, and to inform us. Um, so, Sean, I want to talk more about being at the Cenotaph and sort of happened. You mentioned that you were charged at. What, what, happ what happened there? No, so, so as, as you've seen in the video, so after the Cenotaph, like, sort of proceedings finished, I went around the corner towards Big Ben just to see what, I literally just followed where all the noise was. Um, and then what you see is the police literally caving in um, this big group of very rowdy uh, English people. 
and we were recording and <laughs> in the video I say yeah I haven't really made eye contact with one of them yet but I'm sure that all of a sudden you see someone try to charge forward so obviously I can't say for certain they're charging at me it seemed like they were charging for the camera I mean like like I said I literally have it on video yeah and uh, the police kind of like had to just they just jumped in very good reflexes from them I'm, I'm kind of impressed you owed them an apology you weren't familiar with their game yeah I wasn't <laughs> honestly it was not familiar with their game um so all like look all I can say about the police in, in this regard is that they did that well right and that's the kind of experience I had with them I'm not sure about I'm sure that there's some people who complain about their behavior at the Palestine March etc but it's always going to be a sort of controversial thing anyways um but yeah the the, the right wing English patriots honestly it was the most rowdy thing I've ever come across and they were out in thousands there was a lot of them surprisingly but yeah Rooster um, I think coming back to the Palestine protest when I was there it was like very family friendly um, little kids were out and about yeah. protesting which I thought was really really nice and yeah. warming to see um, there was even a couple of dogs that I saw saw um, a fair few dogs as yeah. well yeah but it was um it was in, for most part of it it was really really peaceful. I did see a few anti-Semitic uh, placards online on Twitter, which obviously I thought was horrible. Um, but all in all, I think there was around ten people out of God knows how many eight hundred thousand a million that the Met Police want to speak with. Um, but compare it to the counter protesters, the far right wing mob. I think there was a hundred arrests made out of what a couple of thousand people. So, uh, as um, was said, it's not even comp uh, comparable, um, the hate that we saw in both the different marches, well, mm. protests. Um, yeah. I guess, I mean, so look at, say, the Waterloo incident, for example, where if, if uh, people listening who aren't familiar, there were people holding uh, pro-Palestine banners and four guys came along and just started uh, unleashing a plethora of abuse towards them and these are people who well obviously as we've seen they are uh, in perfect obviously they're, they're employed and, and everything um and yet they're not sort of covering their faces they clearly feel very strongly about what they're saying and clearly have no sense of oh there's going to be repercussions for what i'm doing why do you think people feel like that in this day and age um i mean it comes back to the age-old questions like well the Home Secretary, Sora Braverman. I think people feel like that already. But when you have like someone in the political space that's in such a high power of office that comes out and publicly says these are hate marches, you know, um, the cenotaph, the, the pro-Palestinian protesters must not go anywhere near the cenotaph. Well, I mean, you can see quite clearly on the route, we were going nowhere no near, yeah, no one no near the, the cenotaph. And I don't think, right? yeah. yeah, I don't think anyone went near the cenotaph. Um, and uh, yeah, and what these far right wing nutters thought, yeah, okay, we need to go to the cenotaph and protect it, but <laughs> don't. And it's just like, who are you protecting it from? Yeah. Like, what, your, your veterans? And also the police the most, are there as yeah, well. Yeah, it's the most well protected thing. You've literally got ex army veterans, you've got the whole police force. Yeah. And like, I'm sure, like, you know, like literally, like soldiers everywhere just in the And the Palestine demo didn't even start for like another couple of hours and was what, 1.5 miles away from yeah. where the cenotaph was? Put, put it this way. I was at both. I literally felt so safe when I went to the Palestine one. Obviously, cool. Like, no shit. That's the way I look. I'm literally a Muslim as well. But generally, the fact that there were literal families at the Palestine protests, babies, like you said, dogs, like, it was actually such a good environment, a good place to be. So, I don't really, honestly, there was only one hate march that day. And it's clear to see which one it actually was. So, obviously, 
with the the ceasefire movement it's not going to stop until at least the uk government backs a call for for a ceasefire um in suella bravman's resignation letter well not um, resignate why are we saying resignation letter she was sacked right it's in a little petty like oh i know i know you're not i know you're not going to read this uh, to message yeah it's pretty much <laughs> yeah. she uh, mentioned that she said that she wanted more action taken against what she calls hate marches where do you think we go from here with these ceasefire marches as in what action do you think the uk government is going to take like yeah so i don't think they will back a ceasefire because i think foreign policy throughout history in the UK is actually kind of just dictated by what the US does. So until the US actually, you know, pushes for that, then you're not you're probably not going to see anything. But I think it's worth letting politicians know you can't take my vote for granted. So, you know, the Muslim vote, for example, from Labour has been absolutely just zapped away, right, because of their decisions. And I would encourage uh, Muslims or anyone who believes in, like, you know, justice for Palestinians, literally don't vote um for labor because of this decision because they can just they feel like they can take our vote for granted because look we we know that we were never going to vote for the, the conservatives anyways right so they don't care they're just trying to appeal to their own sort of base but really our representatives are meant to be labor but then then they're not even calling for a ceasefire they you know Keir Starmer can't even call it a war crime right well, he, he's supported the Israeli government in committing yeah, yeah, uh, in committing war crimes, withdrawing um, what's it, water and power from, yeah, no, from Gaza. This guy's this guy's useless. So then, it's very important to come out on the street and visibly show, yeah, we're upset, and visibly tell tell these people that make noise, shout, boycott, etc., to let people know like this cannot, this is not acceptable, and this cannot run. So even though there might not be a ceasefire that they actually push for until of course like the US do then it's still worth letting them know you're not going to get my vote Rustam uh, as Sean sort of says the, the ceasefire marches are important in showing that the UK public as a whole backs backs a ceasefire march and that the government isn't doing what they're doing in our name do you agree with that? Yeah so I think we saw in France uh, Macron he actually shifted from saying okay no Israel has a right to defend itself to okay yeah ceasefire and I think the protests have had an incredible impact in France for Macron to shift to that decision. Um, I mean, he's you know he's not a nice guy. We all know that. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here, but I like, you can swear. He, he's a dickhead, Macron, <laughs> but uh, to say the least. But um, the protests here are very, very important. Uh, it's important that we continue to march, continue to call for a ceasefire. Um, I mean, I don't think Rishi Sunak or Keir Starmer are gonna but budge on their on their um, sorry. Positions. on their positions that's the word I was looking for on their positions um, I think David Cameron uh, when he was Prime Minister he said a couple of things about Gaza saying it was the biggest it was like an open air prison in 2010 and 2016 saying if we want peace in the Middle East um, then we, we you know you can't be building on illegal settlements in Palestine but um, as Sean said um, foreign policy is dictated in the US in Washington unfortunately um so I don't think anything is going to change. And even today, Keir Starmer, it was reported that if any of the shadow ministers vote for a ceasefire tomorrow in Parliament, then they're going to be sacked straight away from the shadow cabinet. So um, like Sean said, I'm a, I am a Labour Party member and I do understand like Muslims don't want to vote Labour. I completely understand that my parents don't want to vote Labour. Um, even I'm like, you know, I'm so, uh, I feel, I kind of feel politically homeless, uh, but being part of the Labour Party, um, I can see that I can drive change within the party. Um, I've seen the Muslim vote diminish 
I think it was 1.5 million in 2019, and now it's gone to like pretty much zero. Um, it's crazy to see that, and I understand that Muslims are completely, it's not only Muslims, but uh, a lot of people on the left are very, very upset with Keir Starmer, because even the Liberal Democrats are calling for a ceasefire. Um, so that, I think that's just crazy. Yeah, because it, it, it does seem, right, like we're not actually asking for much. No. We're actually literally just asking, yeah, can we just stop? the war can you just can we just stop israel doing what they're doing and take it down the diplomatic route so even like with you know armistice have, having happened and remembrance sunday people fail to forget like the reason we had these things is because we said never again this was like the worst thing that ever happened in or you know in people's minds worst thing that ever happened in british history western world history but then where did those principles go it feels just it's all hypocritical it feels like you know people's lives only have sanctity if the western world deems it does and that i think is outrageous yeah i mean as you sort of said with world war one it was famously named the war to end all wars and obviously we then had world war Two, war in korea vietnam falklands iraq afghanistan you know at what point which war was of those was the war to end all no, wars like no, no one's asking keir starmer to be a jeremy corbyn socialist we're actually just asking him like yeah can we just hold a country to account which is committing war crimes? Simple as that. I think it's um, important to say every single day that they delay to call for a ceasefire, it's more Palestinian children, more women, more people dying in Gaza. Um, I think the death toll is around 11,000 people now at the moment, which is horrific, of course. Um, but I think it's like 45% of them are children. I mean, who wants that? What? I'm sure Keir Starmer has children. I'm sure, I know Rishi Sunak has children. And just seeing that is just, you know, I, f I find it absurd that none of them have even contemplated calling for a ceasefire or even um, even for a humanitarian pause, even Richard Sunak. I know that's not good, but they're not even calling for that. Well, a humanitarian pause to me is just like in a football match. If you imagine like a player gets injured and essentially like you sub the player off yeah. and then basically the game resumes. A ceasefire to me is like, right, the match is getting called yeah. off. Um, it doesn't. See, and I think from what I understand, the Israeli government have allowed, I think, is it four hours? Four of, hours. Um, which is, is nothing when you think of like the amount of aid that which, needs to go into Palestine. basically means for 20 hours a day, you're getting yeah. bombed. You're getting bombed. I mean, the, the photos are absolutely harrying, and you guys are right. How can anyone look at that and not go, we need a ceasefire at least, which doesn't even feel like a like a radical position. And I put that in air quotes for people that are listening because it's it's an end to violence. And obviously, if you, are, if you consider yourself a pacifist or a, a moral human being, then why would you want children to be dying, men to be dying, women to be dying? It's absurd. No, of course. I think, and then obviously the, the counter argument is that, oh, well, Hamas you know, will never agree to ceasefire, but historically they have, right? So even, of course, whatever happened on October 7th was actually horrific. This, the fact that the, the Palestinians are not even worthy of a conversation, I think is outrageous. And it plays into all the dehumanization that's gone on from the Israel, Israeli side of innocent Palestinians. And it plays into just a lot of the propaganda we've seen. And this idea that you literally can't have a diplomatic, diplomatic end to what's going on right now, I think it's insane. I think that's that's outrageous. And it's just, it's part of this kind of sinister tactic of collective punishment that the Israelis have. And Which is a war plan. crime. And yeah. I feel like people need to definitely remember that. So sort of looking back at the UK, um, with the latest government changes, Rustam, I guess with UK fact check politics, you're constantly sort of looking at this. What do you make of it? I thought it was, 
I thought it was absurd. Um, I mean, I woke up in the morning. I, I saw Swala Bravo and got sacked. And as soon as I saw David Cameron pop in, I was like, okay, what's going on here? And then they said, he's a new foreign secretary. At first thing, I thought, okay, um, well, he doesn't have a seat in parliament and he's not a lord as well. So that he's going to have to get a peerage, which I thought was very, undeg- I think it's undemocratic in itself. 100%. And um, secondly, now David Cameron, former prime minister, is free of all scrutiny, which um, I think, I mean, I don't really think it matters, to be honest, in parliament when they do their little debates and, you know, make the snarky comments at each other. Um, But I think that's very undemocratic too. But also we're talking about a man whose legacy is austerity, whose legacy is that in Libya, he... um, the, uh, he basically on foreign policy he was the one that said they should bomb Libya to kill Gaddafi uh, to lure him out and um, I think in 2016 it was a uh, committee on foreign affairs said that David Cameron was uh, responsible for the uh, downfall of Libya for the civil war that is ongoing in Libya and I think that guy he's he's an awful human being he led his austerity policies led to 130,000 uh, excess deaths uh, 330,000, yeah. Yeah, and um, that's, that was a report published by UCL as well. Um, it's a man that we're talking about, he, who himself has a disabled son that wanted to cut disabled benefits, PPI, um, which is horrific. Um, but this man's legacy is literally chaos, death, um, and also, of course, Brexit 2016. Um, he left the country in a political chaos. Uh, it was a calamity. And for, I think, maybe four years, we were very unstable. There was no progress in the country in terms of any policies or any sort of reform. It was just all Brexit. And, and it really, really kept the country behind. Um, but everything that has happened in the UK in terms of, like, uh, politics-wise, um, the chaos that we're in, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, Brexit, all leads to this man here. It feels like, you know, that meme of the astro- two astronauts looking at, um, on the moon looking at the Earth? And like one of them's like, wait, oh, it's like, it's round. And someone's like, always has been. And it's like, where well, they put that in the context of David Cameron and George Osborne. And it's like, oh, wait, so it's all George Osborne and David Cameron's fault. And it's like, always has been. Yeah. And I guess you could literally trace it back to those two guys. Sean, what did you make of it? Well, I think it's a desperate plea from the Conservative Party to uh, gain some sort of uh, stability. So Rishi was obviously put in, in a tough place because he's been trying to, for a very long time, show that he's a leader who can bring the Conservative Party together, the moderate kind of faction and the very kind of far right faction. So he, he's, he's struggled that a lot. Uh, because, and then, of course, then you have the opportunist Suella Braverman come out of the woodworks, put pressure on him so then she can try and just basically control that kind of right-wing niche because she wants to basically go against him in the next Conservative Party leadership. So he was obviously forced to get rid of her based on her comments. So cause let's be real, she want, she wanted this, yeah. right? This is one of her, her plans to, you know, become some sort of martyr for the Conservative Party. Well, become the next leader of the Conservative yeah, Party, of basically. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I don't know, like hold him to account for whatever. And then the fact that he actually took the step to bring back David Cameron, well, that actually signals something deeper that he's actually trying to bring it back to his more moderate, kind of compassionate Conservative principles but then i guess as uh, rustam said this is someone who has blood on his hands basically both in libya and also in this country here with three hundred and thirty thousand people murdered by austerity so 
is seeing David, I know David Cameron is kind of seen as a moderate in comparison to other leaders, but this guy is, is far from a moderate. He's basically a male version of Liz Truss, if you look at both economic policy and social policy. No, definitely. And I think, well then, that just basically means the Conservatives have a different definition of moderate. Yeah. This is the centrism that, and the liberal kind of yeah. philosophies that they're fine with. You know, if it's black and brown bodies across the world, they don't really care. Um, and even bodies here, right? Because it's indirect. Austerity is a very indirect way yeah. uh, that leads to people's deaths. It's like, yeah, we slashed your benefits. What do you mean you're dead? It's, yeah, you know, exactly. It's, um, um, can I just add yeah, something as well? It's important to remember as well, just two years ago, I think it was two years ago anyway, this man lobbied Rishi Sunak, texted him on his phone saying, hey, can we get some loans for Greensill? And then David Cameron was paid, I think it was, what, £7 million? And eventually Greensill went bankrupt and he was at the heart of a uh, corruption scandal. It was the biggest scan biggest yeah. corruption scandal, a bri bi biggest lobbying scandal in British politics. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's a former PM as well. And I think, I don't think people are going to forget that. And to see someone come to power again, like David Cameron, um, from literally a corruption scandal, it just shows that they were so desperate. They couldn't find anyone in their green benches and the back benches to come in and do that role. So um, I think Rishi Sunak is very, very desperate for someone to bring in, to come in and kind of like brings this sort of disability in the party because um, at the moment it is chaos. Um, I think we saw a couple of letters go in no confidence. I Andrea think, Jenkins, I yeah. believe, has submitted a letter. And I feel like there, apparently there are reportedly more. Um, but whether something actually happens with yeah. that, I mean, probably that's a, won't. That's pretty funny, you know, because <laughs> what you said, because imagine like there's actually just not one single conservative MP who can do that job. That's no. what Rishi thought. Yeah, there's what, 350 <laughs> of them left in this site. Like, no, you like, shit. <laughs> no one yeah. can do this. That just shows what he thinks about it. I think party. it's not only he, uh, no one can do this, it's like no one wants to come and do that job because they know that Rishi Sunak's government is going to fall. Keir Starmer is inev inevitably going to come into power next year if there's an election. Um, and no one wants to do that and tarnish her reputation. I think that's why Suella Braverman uh, martyred herself. I think she was freelancing the last couple of weeks, just saying the most absurd things, you know, homelessness is a lifestyle choice. Um, these are hate marches, the pro-Palestinian mar uh, protests. Um, and I think Suella Braverman is an opportunist. She's looking ahead and she's probably going to go for that um, well, it'll, we'll, hopefully by then it will be uh, sh um, opposition uh, leader of the Conservative Party. But I think that's what Suella's long game is and what the other bank bench Tories are um, that are just waiting and looming to come in. Sean, um, just quickly, you mentioned that you feel like uh, Labour is losing the Muslim vote. What does Labour have to do in order to retain the Muslim vote, in your opinion? Well, well, right now, what they'd have to do, they have to have a bit of principle and actually, you know, support a ceasefire. Because I think that will go a long way. But then, even still, this is, I think this is an issue which is going to affect them for a very long time. So, unless there's new leadership, I don't really see how uh, Muslims will kind of forget what's happened. And also, it's not even just Muslims, it's a lot of people who are part of the pro-Palestinian cause. So, you know, Jewish voices for Labour or like socialist group, Jewish socialist groups and whoever was just on the march. I think a lot of people there are very disillusioned with what's going on. So honestly, I can only if they sort of do a big U-turn on their Palestine position alongside a new leadership, then I think that's the only way that we can see a, a change.
Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me. Is there anything that you guys would like to promote? Uh, yes, actually, to all the people listening to this and watching, I just want to say, um, please attend the pro-Palestine marches. Uh, follow Palestine Solidarity UK on Instagram. They post all the latest protests. Um, people are dying in Gaza. Uh, people are dying in the West Bank. Children, innocent children, women, men. Um, just please come out and demand a ceasefire. It is really important. important. It does cause a big change and hopefully we can shift the positions on the politicians in our country thank you yeah i guess um so i have my first youtube video coming out to explore armistice ceasefire and me actually confronting some of these right-wing protesters so make sure you check that out it's just my username sean ramiz i'm excited to release it so yeah and to all of you watching and listening um over the last week it has been incredible. We've hit recently hit a thousand followers on Instagram. Uh, we're doing well in terms of TikTok content, also on the YouTube channel as well, and on Spotify listens. Our last episode with Chris Kunster was our most listened to episode of all time. So thank you so much for the support's been shown to all the new followers. We hope you enjoy our content. And uh, yeah, we will see you again for the next episode. Thank you.